Hello and welcome to the TriCast Experience. I'm your host, Rob Davidson, and I'm joined here today by Ted Smith, uh, author of Healthy Me, Happy We. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. Great to be here, Rob. Yeah. Well, now that I can actually say it right, I'm glad we're actually here. Um, so for the audience, give a little bit of a synopsis of who you are and you know, that value you're trying to create in the world. Sure. Yeah. So I'm a new author. I'm very excited about releasing my first book. And my book is all about relationships. The, um, the subtitle of my book is Transforming Relationships with Yourself and Others. So it's really all about um, cultivating a healthy relationship with yourself so that you can then be healthy and happy with your relationships with other people. Um, my background, my story um, is that I was in a 15 year abusive relationship with an emotionally abusive alcoholic narcissist. And um, let's just say I learned a lot about unhealthy relationships yeah. through that experience. Um, I ended that about a year and a half ago, uh, going on two years, and my life has just completely transformed now that I have um, really learned about what it is, how important it is to have a healthy relationship with myself. Because of that, the relationships with other people that I have have just completely transformed. Yeah. Wow. Uh, where within this journey did you... How did you transition from in that relationship to author? Yeah, um, so 15 years is a long time. Um, and I would say that the vast majority of that was kind of just all the same, more of the same. I was very stuck, I was very stagnant. I didn't, I was convinced that that's all there was. Um, I didn't really grow, I didn't really learn, I was, I was kind of keeping the same pace with my life from an, an emotional intelligence standpoint, from a growth standpoint, from a relationship standpoint. And um, meanwhile, my ex-husband's um, alcohol addiction got worse and worse, and I finally hit rock bottom when he ended up in the in the hospital going through alcohol withdrawal. Um, an experience observing which I would never wish on my worst enemy. Um, but because I hit that rock bottom, I was able to basically have an entire reset of my entire life. I took a step back and looked at what, what the hell was going on in my life and realizing it was not working for me. And, um, that's when I started going to therapy and Al-Anon meetings um, and getting the support that I needed, learning what codependency meant. I had no idea what that term was um, and recognizing how, you know, I, I had a tendency in that relationship to blame all of the abuse and, and the issues that we had on him without recognizing the role that I played from a codependent standpoint in kind of encouraging that behavior to continue um, and not really separating us into two individuals. We were kind of one person, one identity, which is, which is very unhealthy. Um, so hitting rock bottom allowed me to just really wake up <laughs> and um, 
three months later, within the next three months, I recognized that um, even if he were to remarkably get sober and get the help that he needed from an addiction standpoint, the emotional abuse, the narcissism, that wasn't gonna go away. And once I started to you know, go to therapy, have Al-Anon, um, mm -hmm. do things to start taking care of myself, I quickly realized that I loved myself too much to stay in that relationship and allow that treatment to continue. You, you needed healing, and yeah. so that doesn't happen in the trenches. Correct, right. Yeah, it was, um, it's been quite the journey, obviously, um, but the healing journey that has come from that since that point, I mean, my life is just completely yeah. amazing now. I mean, I wrote a book within, so I got the idea for the book about nine months after leaving him, and then within a year, I'm gonna be a published author. So um, it comes out in mid-April, and it was just, it was an idea that I had last March, so a little over a year, and I am a published author. So like, I think that's just an example of how good life can be and how quickly things can happen when you open up and recognize like, um, what life has to offer. Yeah. So something you said that really stuck out to me, because I, I haven't spent time in your field as much as, right, I'm, I've been exposed to it lately, with what is, based on your experience, what, what does codependency really look like? How, what can the audience do to kind of see those markers and be like, wait a second, listen, you know, none of us have perfect knowledge, right? And so having that level of openness is like, hey, maybe I'm misinterpreting, right? But at least giving someone kind of a kernel, right, that they sure. can look for. What, what would you say those things are? Yeah, how much time you got? Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but this, this would be fantastic, so let's jump in. Yeah, so codependency, the term originated originally for relationships that involve a chemical addiction of some sort, so, um, someone in the relationship is an alcohol is addicted to alcohol or drugs some sort of and the codependent person is the one who is is the other person in the relationship and kind of enables the addiction uh, to continue etc the term has evolved so it doesn't necessarily have to include um, an addiction per se um, although in my case it did codependency is also known as the relationship addiction so I um, I'll never forget in my very first therapy session, uh, which was a week after, um, it was actually a few days after my husband began a very short stint in um, inpatient alcohol rehab. When I started to explain the situation to my therapist, um, she paused me, I'll never forget that she said, um, so just like he is addicted to alcohol, I want you to recognize that you are addicted to him. And I didn't know what that meant, um, but it soon like really started, I just started to realize how I kind of was addicted to the drama of our relationship. I kind of thrived on the toxicity. And codependency also has to do with, um, we hear a lot like that person completes me or two halves make a whole sort of thing. And every time I hear, like, you complete me, I, like, cringe a little bit. In fact, I almost, I almost titled my book, I Complete Me. 
to kind of counteract mm. that idea of like you complete me, another person completing you is not that's not healthy. No, and I think that's that's the beauty of what a relationship can look like is two holes coming Correct. together, right? If we're dealing with a 120 total, it's not healthy. Correct. Yeah. Um, the opposite of codependency is interdependency, which is what a healthy relationship is based on. So like Love you said, that. two whole people coming together, they choose to be together. They challenge each other. They, um, you know, love each other, they support each other, but each person has their own identity, each person has their own set of friends, their own interests. There's some separation between the two. They're not, um, the two people aren't doing everything together. They're not, like... It's not for the sake of separation, but it's, it's, it's for the sake of, you know, empowering that person-ness. Yes, absolutely. So it's the idea of like coming together to create something really beautiful between two people, but still having an individuality for both, both individuals. That's, that's, that's what makes it the most beautiful, Yeah. Right? right? Like you don't have to look at the picture, kind of squint your eyes so you see like, wow, like, you know, I love this, but like there's so much else going on that like you can't appreciate central mural right and like and so uh, I absolutely love interdependency being the pathway out because I, I think in a lot of ways it is and creating relationships that empower versus right limit like we both have a mutual friend where the limitations on the relationship suffocated and killed the relationship yes and that person we know is a beautiful 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 person of how she approaches life and her not being able to be that person is humanity's loss. Yes. Um, and I think that when you get into that self-care lens, I think so much of it, people become self-sacrificial and uh, blindsided by the toxicity of relationships yep. because they're caring. Right? Because they're like invested in something that they should be invested in. But it's more of just without that that foundation. Yeah, what what tends to happen in a codependent relationship is one or both fee, both individuals feel held back by the other person. Whereas in an interdependent relationship, both people can fulfill their life's potential, um, be their own amazing shining light in this world, and the other person there kind of rooting them on, but there's not this limitation that you're speaking of, of being kind of held back and, oh, I'm with this person, so I can't do all these things that I want to do. Uh, I, I think when, when we're not allowed to be that version of ourselves, mm -hmm. we're, we're robbing every, our entire community, right? And that's, that's the thing, it's like, if I could only like, or we could, or you know, society as a whole, if the conversation turns more toward, hey, it's like, we love that you care, yeah. right? And like, we're excited for like more, right? But we know that like, the way for all of us to grow then is through you, right? Like 
don't take on the weight of a treehouse before you're yeah. a mighty oak, right? Yeah, um, a lot of people put their their romantic relationship first. That is the top priority for them in their life. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that shouldn't be a high priority, but the point that I, I would like to drive home through my book and, and outside of the book as well is that while this may sound counterintuitive, we really need to put ourselves first. Um, that concept was something that was completely foreign to me and for the longest time I had always learned we should be putting other people before ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it, because it feels, it feels selfish to put us first. But what I've learned is that there's a very big difference between selfish and self-loving um, and kind of finding that balance of like learning how to love yourself and, and put yourself first so that you have yeah. the capability to then fully love other people. Yeah, because I'm, uh, listen, I come from a Christian background. It's like I, I deeply resonate with altruistic mm -hmm. motivation, right? This is why humans are badass, right? It's yeah. because we can give outside of ourselves and at sometimes at great cost of ourselves. But if we are called to love others as ourselves, and we don't love ourselves, we despise that which we've been given to steward, our bodies, our lives, our families, our communities, if we despise ourselves in that, we can never really come to a unified society. Yep, yeah, and the relationships we have with other people are a direct reflection of the relationship we, ha we have with ourselves. Yes. So. I come from a history of a lot of self-abuse, a lot of perfectionism, a lot of um, putting myself down for not doing things right or a certain way or whatever. And because of that way of thinking, lo and behold, I attracted a relationship with another person who treated me exactly like I treated myself. Um, and so that's... That is another driving point of how important it is to love yourself, be kind to yourself, be patient with yourself. Um, you know, one of the things that I often ask others and ask myself too, I have to remind myself of is, would you talk to other people, like your other, your loved ones, like you talk to yourself? Think about that. Like how many times do we get frustrated with ourselves for doing something wrong or getting impatient because we're not getting something, you know, quickly enough, we're not learning something fast enough. If, if we're so hard on ourselves, like it, it um, destroys that capacity to, to learn and grow. Mm -hmm. Similar to, you know, a, a parent and child relationship. If, if you're telling them like, God, you're so stupid. Like, why, why can't you get this? <laughs> you would never talk to a child that way. You would never talk to a friend that way. So why do we talk to ourselves that way? It's so important to be, the first step is awareness, to be aware of catching those thoughts, like, why am I talking to myself like that? I've got to treat myself better. And then, as that relationship heals, um, miraculously, the relationships around us with other people also begin to improve. We teach other people how to treat ourselves. No, and it's, and it's multi-level. At first, it's you know getting away from, right, like 
that yelling and screaming and aggressiveness yeah. and that down talk and right we're pulling away pulling away but then if we continue to use our relationships with other people as a mirror for this right mm -hmm. it's like when you have those really close relationships those deep ones you know when something's bothering someone and you can say hey no, no, no hold on don't walk away from me what's what's going on yep right you have to do that to yourself mm -hmm. because yourself will be a will avoid these conversations. It's inertia. Yeah. It's because if you have the systems of non-reflection, because you're yelling at someone else or yelling at yourself because you know, you're not performing as well as you want yourself to when comparing yourself to your peers, right? Like, you'll never be able to understand. It's like, wait, well, why do I care about this so much? Yeah. We avoid conversations with ourselves and we avoid feeling feelings that are uncomfortable. Um, a lot of us, if we're feeling sad, we want to stuff that down with, you know, Doritos or ice cream. If we're feeling angry, it might feel uncomfortable and like, oh, I don't want to feel this way, so I'm going to binge Netflix. Like, we, we have these coping mechanisms that cover up and kind of shove down the feelings that we need to, to feel. Um, feel your feelings is something that I talk about in my book and you know, it might sound hokey to the listener or to my readers, um, but it really is true. Like, if we're feeling angry, we have to actually sit with it, like, feel that discomfort in our chest or in our stomach, wherever it is. Let it um, And exist. let it be there, and then we can release it. Because if we don't release it, it's going to stay there, and it's going to come back, yeah. you know, a week or Even just later. fighting it, no, it doesn't matter. Ignoring it, moving on. Yep. Right? It's just like, you just threw a lit cigarette into a dry... <laughs> You know, forest. Yeah, like, it's just like what, like <laughs> that stuff festers. And, oh my gosh! You know that that resentment that we can build with other people because of unresolved anger that also happens with ourselves, and that's what that's what creates an unhealthy relationship with ourselves that, that can be explosive at times. Um, you know, people, the slightest bit of stress can set somebody off into some some really. Uh, crazy reactions and it's because we haven't released you know stress emotion like difficult uh difficult feelings in the past like and so it all builds up so how how do we identify when we're falling into that rut of avoiding what what do we do to pull us our, ourselves out of that that's a good question um well you can read my book um, hey so <laughs> There's a few things. So one one idea that comes to mind for me is, is therapy, counseling. I believe that everybody should have a therapist or a counselor. Uh, even people who are feeling really good about their lives, who are doing really well, a therapist can just be that sounding board for you. Um, what I've found, you know, I'm, I'm still in, in therapy, and there are times when my therapist just sits there and listens, and I answer my own question, and it's because I'm answering my own question or resolve my own issue because I'm talking about it out loud. When we sit with ourselves, our minds just race, 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 and just you know, the mind chatter just keeps going, and we talk ourselves in circles and all that stuff, and we don't have that sounding board to kind of uh, process things out loud. That is probably one of the most helpful things for me. Um, I would also say that creating space with other people, with friends, with family, to be able to be vulnerable with people 
share what's actually going on in your lives um, versus um, you know keeping things light and you know topical current events whatever um, but really talking about like the, the stuff that you're going through um, I there's a, there's still a stigma these days with vulnerability and how it can appear or seem weak if we mm -hmm. show emotion I've, I've been think I've been thankful to, to see that vulnerability is is becoming more welcome it's it, yeah it's being talked and about it, but it, it hasn't gotten to the point where it's permeating the, yeah. the natural baseline of our culture right it's 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 becoming more and more mainstream and I think people are appreciating it more because they recognize the value when somebody's being vulnerable and sharing something really challenging for them to say yeah. we can feel that and we can relate to that person more like think about it if you're in a group of people and somebody shares something really really um, really hard for them to say don't you feel closer to that person afterwards oh my gosh. I mean that connection just really solidifies I was talking to the client where they made a post uh, and it was the most vulnerable post they've ever made it was their best performing post ever yeah I love it and it's just this is what people are thirsty for yeah real authentic human connection right right and we're we're too busy just focusing on ourselves and what we want out of every relationship, screaming, buy my stuff, or be my friend, or let's go to the club, and it's versus like getting into the meat of what makes each other so special. Yeah, yeah. That's what, what people wanna see, that's what they, like you're saying, that's what they relate to. Right, um, you know, you, you asked about getting ourselves out of that rut, and it's like, if nothing changes, then nothing changes. We have to change things about the way we think, the way we act, the way we behave, the way we interact with other people. Things need to be different, yeah. or the result is gonna be the same as what we've had. Yeah, that and it's, but how, how do you break through? Because that is the most cliche, right, thing ever, and, but hold on, right? Like literally, I run the triangle company, triangle as in Greek delta, as in change. Yeah. Like, listen, I am in, like my first love is lady philosophy. Lady change is my next love. Like she's my side chick. And it's like, <laughs> I, you know, but that right now we are in a culture where inertia is pushing toward not changing. Absolutely. So to see that change in our relationships, we have to push that ball down the hill. And obviously that starts with ourselves. But what, a, when you've done, especially, you know, I, you know, I'm addicted to philosophy. It's a, it's a really harmful drug. It's, yeah. it just changes how you see everything. It's right. really, it's obsessive. Um, but for those of us who aren't, right, like even getting into thinking about those whys in your life, why do I do this? Why does this matter to me? Like, what the heck am I doing with why, what, what do all of my actions point towards? Yeah. Right? If that is not your baseline, right? It's like you have to create that, right? And that's, as I'm sure you know as well, it's like that's a process. Yeah. So how do you start that? <laughs> um, we love our comfort zones, right? Um, and it's, the term is, is, can be amusing, or ironic at times because our comfort zone may actually be extremely uncomfortable and really unhappy, but we cling on to it because it's what we know. 
So we, you know, there, a lot of people question why, why would you stay in an abusive relationship? If you're unhappy and, and your husband is treating you like this, why would you stay? And there's many reasons that I cover in my book, but one of them is it's what we know and it's the comfort zone. And what if a change creates something worse? <laughs> my, my God. You become so, so familiar with this kind of consciousness yeah. that like breaking your mental walls out of that and then physically leaving, right? A metaphorical cage, yep. it, it becomes an impossible task. Correct, yep. It's, a, it's an impossible task because in that, in an abusive relationship situation, we feel so worn down that we don't have the ability to do anything different. Um, but also, like I said, going back to that comfort zone, it's what we know, it's the devil we know. Um, so to answer your question, like, <laughs> how do we recognize the importance to change? I don't really know that, it's gonna be different for every person. Yeah, because um, I know your story, it was a rock bottom. It was a rock story. bottom. And, and I, I also know that people could potentially see these Right, like there's a point where it's like, just like, why do I keep, like every time my mom's in the room, I start yelling at her, why? With that type of relationship, like, I mean, there could be any number of factors. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how, how you and your mom interact, but like. No, and I'm not talking about my mom, but like a metaphorical oh, person. Okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. no. I love my mom. <laughs> mom, you, mama, my you're mom. the best. Love you, mama. <laughs> No. Sorry. No, 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 but no, but like for someone dealing with this, right? Yeah. Like, you know, how to, how to navigate so that you don't have to have the rock bottom moment right. where it's like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to like even imagine someone's mom going through something, but like, right? So like, it, like I said, it, it takes, it's hard to answer that question because it, it's going to take some sort of defining moment for that person to realize what, what's, what I've been doing, how we've been interacting, how, you know, what's been leading up to this point has not been working. Um, that could be watching this video at home and being like, wow, the things he's saying, like that really resonates with me. I'm going to start making changes. It's whatever it takes the person to realize things have got to change and actually start changing them. Um, but what creates that moment for somebody is going to be different for every person. Yeah. It, it takes that conscious decision, it takes the realization first, and then the decision uh, to actually make changes. A lot of people may have the realization, they may know that what they're doing is not working. Um, I mean, my, in 15 years, there were numerous moments I thought of leaving because I was just so unhappy and I knew it wasn't working. But it still takes the decision to actually make things different. Well, I think that that's, you know, because I've, I've studied a little bit of between Christian and then Eastern literature of looking at, you know, how do you go about this process of changing? I think so much of it is that, like, that's the wrong mindset, right? It's not about going out and making change. It's about being changed. Yes. And then using that as just, you know, someone has to choose to pick it up. Right, but that could be a, a model, a fulcrum, a shield to allow themselves to, to have the air support to start doing that for themselves. Yes. And I think all we can do is show them that this is the, what the process of changing looks like and I'm still okay. Yeah, I'm still alive. Like, listen, I, you know, like, I'm still okay though. Yeah, yeah, setting an example is so important. 
that's that's something I'm trying to do for for the people in my life, setting an example of what what a healthy, happy life looks like, um, so that people can realize on their own, oh wow, like things are really good when you take care of yourself. Um, it's like I said, it's becoming more and more mainstream to go to therapy, to take care of yourself, to um, to love yourself first. It's still, um, I wouldn't say it's commonplace though. So wow. I think the idea, the way to get that message out, the way for a broader understanding to occur is for each individual as they start learning it to, to show by example. So that's a really good point. So what does the ideal relationship look like? Right, a relationship that is healthy and happy, yep. operating by your principles in your book. What does that look yeah. like? Um, well, no relationship is perfect, but an ideal relationship, I would say, is, is healthy and interdependent in the way that, um, again, two whole people, individuals with, with full identities, full um, individualities on their own, kind of coming together, choosing to be together. Other aspects, so that's kind of the foundation. And then the way that the two people interact, um, I would say honesty, transparency, communication, those are all extremely important aspects of a healthy relationship. Um, we tend, so me as an example, I am really uncomfortable with conflict. So like if, if somebody does something that I don't like, my comfort zone, my natural tendency is to internalize it and probably not say anything. And then um, I may or may not walk away from the situation and I may feel resentful towards that person for doing or saying something I didn't like, but it's really hard for me to speak up and let them know that that wasn't okay. Um, in a healthy relationship, however, communication is key. Um, so it's finding ways to push past that point of discomfort so that you're doing the most loving thing, not only for yourself, but for that other person by speaking your mind. Because if I don't share my concern, that resentment builds and then there's this disconnect between us um, because I have this, this resentment that the other person may not have any idea is there. Um, they they may, able to, may, may be able to feel that energy, but if I don't communicate my issue, they're not gonna know that something needs to be changed. So honesty, transparency, communication, those are probably the, the biggest part, I would say. Um, trying to think of some others that I mentioned in my book, but that's no, but those are, that's those are all fantastic. Communication is probably my favorite out of all of those, and the the one that I I drill in because that's how you get the transparency in a lot of ways of like just right. This is what I feel, and I I want to tell you why this is important to yeah. me. Yeah, if we have the relationship in which that is appropriate, that conversation, right? Then it's like okay, and that then gives them the gateway to. Right, so this is what's important to me too. Right, right, and it's like, I think so much of it, especially like when we're talking about those interpersonal conversations, right, I think so much of it is that we ignore it. We just don't talk. Like, yeah. and I think that a lot of talking then, when it does happen, it's one way, and it's not a dialogue, and I yeah. think that's just as toxic, where it's like, you have one person telling the other person, what the first person meant when they said something. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that, that, the what, you know? 
And it's, it gets to the point where we're just not being true to ourselves. Yeah. And when it comes to um, those types of situations, intention is one thing, but regardless of intention, the other person's feelings are always valid. So I think we tend to forget that when you're in a relationship, and by the way, we're not just talking romantic relationships, we're talking about family, friends, etc. as well. Mothers, mother-son relationships, yes. theoretical ones. <laughs> um, like, we forget that when two people are in a relationship, there is so much history for each individual that leads up to that moment in time, whether it's previous interactions with that person or childhood issues or uh, other relationships and we all have different experiences that lead up to um, a given conflict as an example so as an example um, someone like myself um, might have a major pet peeve or um, uh, discomfort or annoyance or frustration around being interrupted and that may come from this isn't my situation, but um, in childhood, maybe that person was interrupted a lot as a kid or ignored by their parents or something like that. And so that develops into, as an adult, being super averse to being interrupted in conversation. And if you and I are in a relationship and um, you interrupt me while we're having a conflict, that can then escalate into uh, you know, a, a boiling eruption and it's not because of what you're saying, but it's because you're interrupting me that that's, you know, that's causing that reaction for me. So in a healthy relationship, you know, we discuss those, uh, we discuss those sorts of things so that the other person understands, okay, interruption is a really big thing for him. I have to be cognizant of that. If I do accidentally interrupt at some point, I need to be aware of that, apologize for it, et cetera, because that's something that's really important to, that's a really important, um, thing that I need to remember when I'm interacting with this other, other person. That's just an example. Mm. So then how do you how do you balance stuff like natural tendency, excitement, and intention with then those uh, hot topics? Whole behaviors. Yeah. Um, talking it through, like, so as an example, if I'm in a, in a relationship with somebody who, who gets really excited and their natural tendency is, is maybe to talk over me um, because they really want to get their point across, but they're not, they're, you know, their intention is not to, to d diminish my value of what I have to say, like that's an important discussion to have about that very specific thing. Um, so telling that person, you know, I, it's really hard for me to be interrupted for all these reasons, and that person can share, you know. So it's a, it's a constant evolution, um, and conversations can kind of take detours. We may not even be talking about that at of all. Course. Maybe about a completely separate discussion that we're trying to have, but talking about those frustrations as they happen is really important because otherwise, the focus on that other, you know, the core topic is is lessened. Mm. Oh, I think that's really powerful. Yeah. We all have these natural tendencies or different personalities or different ways of communicating. And that's, that can be the beauty of a, of a relationship because you, know, you can compliment each other and you can learn a lot from the other person with the differences that they have. But 
obviously conflicts can happen when there's two people with just totally different ways of being come together. And that's, you know, that's probably one of the biggest challenges of a relationship is finding that, um, that common ground, that, that way of interacting with each other that works for both of you. Slight change of topic. Okay. If anyone, they read your book. Yep. And you want them to walk away with one lesson. What would that be? I would say the biggest takeaway for me from my book is that creating a healthy relationship with yourself is paramount to your happiness and to how you relate to other people. The core of it is all about that healthy relationship with yourself. Everything else kind of falls into place and is more or less automatic. Yeah. It's just a given if you have that healthy relationship with yourself and you take care of yourself. Mm. That's wonderful. Where will you be selling, because we can release this podcast at kind of a strategic time based yep. on what you have going on. Um, where can people get your podcast? Or yeah. get your podcast, Oof. Uh, get your book. Yeah, so I'll be on Amazon. Um, maybe we can uh, post a link for that specific yeah. sure site um, once it's available. But um, I also, I'm, a, I'm available online. I have a website, an Instagram, and a Facebook. They're all tedsmith.life. So Instagram and Facebook are both at tedsmith.life. And then my uh, webpage that I have that you can sign up uh, to be on my email list, my subscriber list, is also tedsmith.life. And if they sign up for that list, what's the kind of value and news that they'll be getting from that? Yeah, so on the email list, there's going to be um, options for a free signed copy. I'm going to be signing, or I'm going to be um, creating virtual um, book release parties and things like that. So there'll be special offers. That'll be fun. Yeah, um, I'm hoping to do a, a live book tour at some point, but um, be virtual for at least the few first few months. Um, so yeah, and uh, I think I'll be having some deals around like if you purchase a number of copies, you might get a, a free sign one for free or, or something like that. So, I love that. Yeah. What is, what's the biggest thing through this process? First time author, going through a publisher, doing the PR, what is the biggest thing you've learned? What has that process been like? You know, it's been it's been really fun. I will say I've been constantly amazed by like how much effort there is into every little detail when it comes to publishing a book. I mean, so right now I'm I'm working on um, writing the back cover and it's pretty much done, but the opening line of it is not quite fleshed out yet and my, my publisher is working with me on that and there's like a whole team of people <laughs> trying to figure out the right wording for that first sentence so that it really grabs the person who's looking at it on Amazon or in a bookstore because we really want that first line to be like oh this book is for me I, I need to buy this I want to read at least the last you know part of this cover and then maybe buy the book um, so like I mean I'm having an hour-long conversation with, with somebody on my publishing team later this week to to flesh out one sentence so like um and like the level of detail that went into designing the cover i mean there was a lot of iterations around that um just it's been cool though like you never when you see a book in a store you don't realize like how much time and effort went into of people that. behind that yeah so no, that's, uh, that's been fun yeah well and that's i 
never been exposed to that at all. And so it's over the past year, I've had interactions where it's like, oh, wow, like this is like a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so you seem like you are absolutely in love with your publishing company. I, I have heard from other people that they don't love their yeah. publishing company. So what was finding a good fit? What did that look like for you? And like, how, what's a little nugget you can throw to the audience of like, make sure you ask them this yeah. or something like that. Yeah, so for me, I got, I was really fortunate um, through the connections that I have made through uh, an organization called Gay Man Thriving. Um, they they're provide coaching services to gay men. Um, highly recommend any gay men out there um, checking them out. But through the connections, uh, through that organization, I was led to uh, my publisher, Authors Who Lead, um, who, the way I was introduced to them is they provide a coaching program for authors. So I was actually part of a group of about six authors um, who, um, it was about a four month program, and by the end of that four months, I had a completed manuscript, <laughs> uh, first draft, um, and so you know it's an escalated program to, to get people to get their first draft out and then from there you can kind of edit um, and then I learned through the process that the um, that they also offer editing publishing and marketing to their to their authors as well um, so it all kind of fell into one place with one organization and I've, I've been really excited about you know writing the book and getting the message out but that whole spot in between of producing the actual um, book out into the world. I had no interest in self-publishing or, you know, doing the marketing myself. Like, oh, that's a lot. That's not my area of expertise and that's not what I want to focus on. Well, it's a brand so, new product launch and there are a lot of books coming out every year. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, yeah, I, I've even seen the best marketers in the world the first time, as much as they've then self-published every single book since then, their first book, it's like, it's a strategic move. It's yeah. like, you want to get out there, you want to get out there, and it's like, as much as like, you could say, you know, a marketing approach was one, which way or that way, it might not be your specialty, if that's, you know, yeah. the people I'm looking at, right? <laughs> um, but it's, you know, they know so much more than you when it mm -hmm. comes to how this ecosystem works. Yes. And it's like, you know, listen, outside of the first book, that's entirely based off of that relationship and how good it is, right? But definitely for first time, doing it yourself for the first time, I feel like typically is not a great, or even working with like a super, super low budget one. I feel like there's just a lot to be kind of needed yeah. for the process to actually hit a home run. Right. So how did you go about the process selecting yours? So like you, did you, how much research did you do so you were recommended and connected? Yeah. How much, were you in the phase of evaluating other companies at the same time? You know, I had thought about it, um, but when I learned that they offered a package, I, I had full trust. That's the beauty of, of relationships, to be honest. Like when you have a healthy relationship with yourself, you can get in tune with the energy of trusting certain individuals and my coach, I just, um, I was ready to put full faith and trust into what they do rather than shop around for multiple editors, multiple publishers. Like that just didn't interest me. Um, you just like listen to the universe and we're like, yeah, 
the fact that it was a package and all offered under the same umbrella, like I couldn't, I couldn't beat that. It was saving me time, and um, you know, I had the funds to do it. So I'm like, I'm gonna let the experts do their thing. And I knew from my previous interactions that this was a group, this was a staff of people that would take really good care of me. So, what was the biggest thing that surprised you about this process? Um, I don't know that it was a surprise, but like I wrote my first draft in 30 days. <laughs> Within the four-month uh, group coaching program, there was a 30-day writing sprint. And, um, like, I had always heard that book writing was, you know, a years-long process for most people, especially the first book. And I knew it was possible because they wouldn't have designed a program with, with it and having, you know, proven results from other clients if, it, if other people hadn't done it. But I would say it was... It was still a bit of a surprise when I actually made it happen. One draft in one month. How many pages? How big of a book? Is so this? it started out. It's funny. So another thing I learned about yeah. um, book writing is, you know, people ask me how many pages, and it's like, well, what's interesting is size of the page. A book, yeah, and then the font and all that stuff. So like a thirty thousand word book could be one hundred fifty pages. It could be two hundred fifty pages. It all depends on the internal layout of the text and stuff. Um, but I, uh, average self-help book is around 50,000 words. My first draft uh, was around 27,000, which I was okay with. I wanted, I've, I've always wanted my book to feel like a quick read. Um, Cause you know, we, we buy these self-help books and it's like, oh my God, uh, and, and we put it down and then we never put, and then we never pick it back up. Yeah. I want my book to be one that somebody picks up and they want to finish the whole thing. Well, I, I books like um, yeah. So the first draft was around 27,000 words. It's now at about 46,000, so it's almost doubled. Um, and that's just, that's the beauty of, you know, so many different um, drafts and, and edits. Yeah, it's well, you can, you can blend that concisity with just more substance, exactly. right? Right. There's a lot of interesting insights with this process. What would you say your biggest kind of piece of advice for the whole author community out there? If they're trying to kind of break through and do it their first time, what would you say, hey, this is the biggest thing you should know before walking into this. I, you know, what comes to me right now is um, finding other authors to um, oh, reach wow. out to that kind of community. If you're doing it on your own, I, it's, it, can be do, it can be done for yes. sure. Um, that's not to say, but I would, I would say, you know, to have other authors to kind of Maybe not necessarily bounce your ideas off, although that could be, mm -hmm. um, but more so to get the support. I mean, we all, I definitely had moments of writer's block, although I've learned that, I learned through the process that writer's block tends to happen when an author has too much to say, not nothing to say. So it's like, where, where the hell do I start? Mm -hmm. um, and that definitely happened. Um, but like, yeah, there are a number of challenges that come with writing a book. But if you can have some accountability, some inspiration, some motivation from other people, I think that would, I think that can be really helpful. So what, what's that look like for you? How did, who'd you get connected with, with, yeah. how, where? So my Authors Who Lead family was phenomenal. Um, I'm, I'm our mutual friend uh, mm -hmm. as part of, a, of an author group on Facebook. Um, so I'm sure there's a number of, of groups on, on Facebook or other outlets um, 
that have communities for authors. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to, our mutual friend, I'm trying to find her more communities because yeah. we're really leaning into now. It's like we hit it in our last meeting. We're like, just like our blogging and articles is the way to go for her. And you know her. So it's like, yeah. yes. Yep. So we're like, I'm just now like, okay, where are more places for her to be putting this work? Right, and so it's. I think that leaning into the community that's been there before, they know what the landmines are. It's like, yeah, totally go into the blank canvas, yeah. you know. But if you there's there's rich, rich foundations in the community for sure. Yeah, and I know she's had some success with. Um, so you know, again, I was fortunate enough to have the funds to not have to self-publish. I could kind of hand my my baby my book off to professionals and have expert resources handle all that for me. But for somebody who um, who needs to self-publish because of finances or, or mm -hmm. they choose to, um, an author community can help with, with all that, which is, uh, as we that. talked about, there's a lot of steps um, to be considered as part of that process. So to wrap up, one of the kind of final questions of doing your book, right? What's next? I don't know. Um, that's been part of what's fun. So like, you know, for, for a lot, a good chunk of my adulthood, I kind of, I had my whole life planned out like, you know, years in advance, none of those plans ever came true. Um, and so one of the things that I've been learning recently is to just really live in the present and yeah, I have ideas about the future, but I don't really know at this point. I have an idea for a second book. I haven't put anything on pages yet. Um, and I don't know. I'm just kind of taking one step at a time and we'll see how the, the book goes. Um, I, I found though that my purpose in life is helping people. And I, I think my primary message is around cultivating a healthy relationship with yourself so that you have healthy, happy relationships with other people. So whatever form that takes, whether it's authoring a book or other things, um, I'm open to it and I'm excited and I know it'll be great. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast thank today. You, this is, I, I just, just from hearing about it, this book is full of so much needed advice and just guideposts. So yeah, please check out the book. The link will be in the show notes and Thank you again for being a part of this. Absolutely. And thank you all for watching. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks, guys.